0: Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Dandy Zhu, and you're listening to Digital Health Forward, a podcast dedicated to sharing the stories of healthcare entrepreneurs, leaders, and executives who are moving the digital health industry forward. Today I had a chance to chat with Nick Hu, an early member of the global operations team at Zipline. Nick led the launches of Zipline's operations in Rwanda and Ghana, and continues to drive expansion strategy for the company across Africa. Zipline has built the world's fastest and most reliable delivery drone and the world's largest autonomous logistics network to help provide instant access to life-saving medical supplies in Rwanda, Ghana, and the US. Founded in 2014, Zipline is now a Series D company, most recently valued at $1.2 billion, and featured on CNBC's Disruptor 50 and slated by Fast Company as one of the most innovative companies of 2020. Hey Nick. Hey, Dandy. Thanks for joining the podcast all the way from Kigali today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Great to have you here. Really excited to hear about what you've done in Africa with Zipline, um, launching the operations in Rwanda in Ghana and talking a little bit about what the company is doing, some of the customer lessons from being on the ground today. Um, so to start, we'd love to hear a little bit first about your background in healthcare, the journey you went through before Zipline and what led you to the company in its early days.
1: Great. Yeah, I, I have a a bit of a journey. I can uh, go to the origins of uh, what brought me down the, the healthcare world and specifically healthcare access. So The big overarching theme throughout my career is I've always been very interested in health access. Um, And I know health access is a very broad term. For me, that covers everything from understanding patient journeys, looking at the different aspects of delivering healthcare, everything from supply chains to the tools that healthcare practitioners use, everything to behavioral psychology. So throughout my career, I've been really exploring all these different aspects of what goes into providing really great quality health access. So my story kind of started through some pretty traumatic moments earlier in my life where I had the experience where I would... I I saw someone while I was walking through an airport have a seizure. And now looking back and having understood a bit, it was a pretty normal seizure. They didn't hit their head or anything, but at the time it was quite terrifying. And the feeling of helplessness really bothered me a lot. Basically no one else around knew what to do. I didn't know what to do. And I just felt helpless. Five, 10 minutes later, uh, paramedics came, put the person uh, in a recovery position. And that person sat up, had some water and they were generally good to go. Nonetheless, I still felt ter- felt terrible after that, mainly because I wanted to know how I could help. And so that was very, very early on. That was when I was 12, 13 years old. And then so it, what I decided to do after that, uh, when, after high school and going to college, I got EMT training, emergency medical technician training, and actually worked on an ambulance over the summer in my first two years of college, looking at how to provide emergency medical care. Obviously, it's Very very basic stuff, but exposed me to a lot of really interesting things. I worked on a an ambulance, ran code three calls or emergency calls, and and saw some very crazy things. My first case on the ambulance was actually a knife wound. A a seventeen year old kid actually got stabbed three times, and wow, that was. Yeah, um, that was quite an eye-opening experience to see not only how these systems work, but how timeliness is so important and how all these systems around healthcare actually all work together to provide the necessary care for people around the world. And so that started opening up my eyes. Um, I went to school at Berkeley, had some really amazing mentors that helped me start looking at emergency care on a broader level. Introduced me to some mentors in Tanzania, they an NGO in Sharadi called REACH. And there I started on a journey to understand similar issues. Uh, I looked at in, in terms of who was susceptible to um, a lot of these emergency cases um, or needing emergency care and what systems were available to support them. And I connected there with the, the medical director of the hospital there um, and came up with an idea to provide motorcycle ambulances. Uh, I, it was already then and there that I already learned that you can't have your fancy ambulances everywhere. You need to figure out what works locally for that community um, mm-hmm. and that problem, and really understanding everything from cost and unit economics to cultural aspects. Many people in the villages that we we're working with use traditional birth attendants, for example, and did prefer to go to the hospital if they didn't want to. So. That experience in Tanzania opened up everything from the cultural dynamics to the system dynamics to really understanding that you can't just come in with a solution. And just because it works in the US or another market, it'll work there. And then I I know this is a bit of a longer story, but uh, I then went back to the US, did my master's in global health, also met some great mentors there. And that part opened up my eyes to understanding global influences at play, everything from how policy is set, what national agendas look like, and where funding actually comes into play. Um, you know, a lot of these ministries of health are funded through various different sources, um, and really understanding those dynamics and those forces is important to. Really implementing anything sustainably and over a long period of time. So from there, I, you know, I ended up in in San Francisco because it was the masters was at UCSF, and 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 did a bit of a foray into telemedicine in the tech world. I had a company called First Derm, uh, where we took a app that allowed you to take a picture of your skin and get connected with a dermatologist all from the convenience of the app. And that was a a great experience that really. Allowed me to understand the concept of scale and 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 what tools were available to provide access to healthcare worldwide at your fingertips. And I'll be happy to talk more about that um, later as well. There's that one also came with a lot of really great lessons. But after two and a half years at First Derm, um, I came across this opportunity with Zipline. I actually got introduced through UCSF by some colleagues at UCSF. I drove down to a cow farm down in the Half Moon Bay. <laughs> About five years ago now, you know, <laughs> and it was such an interesting experience. Uh, the founders actually picked me up off a off a parking lot by the beach, drove me to this secret cow farm and I had a, my, my interview there and I, I just fell in love with not only the idea, the concept, but basically how wonderful the team was and how driven the team was to go solve this problem. And obviously with the combination of tech and health-driven mission and amazing team, I, I really couldn't say no. And so that's what brought me to Z- Line. That's a, the very long answer in terms of yeah. journey through really trying to figure out what is the best way to solve health access.
0: That's amazing. Thank you for sharing all that. It's so easy to see the thread of health access through all those experiences. And also, I'm excited to hear how some of these learnings have also probably very much applied to your time at ZipLine solving the problems that you guys are solving. But when you when you were talking to the founders at the cow farm, what at that time existed? Was there a prototype? Was there just an idea and a vision?
1: Let me paint the picture. Right, you you drive up this road. There's probably a, a couple of trailers, like those portable trailers that you see that almost like look like classrooms. There was our initial prototype landing and launcher system. Our launcher system used to be this pneumatic launcher that made this really crazy sounding uh, poof when it launched, um, mm-hmm. almost like a, a little bit of an air cannon. Um, and our recovery system was these inflatable mats that looked like giant bouncy castles. So when I joined, yeah, it, it was it was definitely very far from where we are today. They had a flying prototype and we were actually still testing our planes, our zips uh, manually. So we actually had test pilots, which we don't have today because even any testing that we do is all automated in our software. So there was the team before I joined had accomplished a ton. I think there were numerous generations of prototypes. And I think that one of the reasons I also joined was just Keaton, um, who, who's our, our CTO, as well as some of the folks in the engineering team were just phenomenal. I was so impressed with the rate of change and rate of innovation. Um, you know, Within a couple months after I joined, it was a brand new different model, brand new different recovery system, a brand new launcher. And so the rate of change was just, I haven't seen any, to be fair, I haven't worked at many tech companies. Heard from what I said, most of the places I've worked have been either companies I founded or academia. So I don't have many points to compare with, but from my time in the early days there, from month to month, everything would change and we would be solving the problem in a very, very different way.
0: And for our listeners benefit, could you just share a little bit around the overarching goal and mission of Zipline? um, And what are the biggest problems you're hoping to solve?
1: Yeah, sure. So Zipline's mission is to provide every human on earth with instant access to vital medical supplies. What that means for us is that it doesn't matter where you live. You should always get access to medical supplies. Even if you live in rural Rwanda or rural Idaho, we want you to be able to go to a hospital and know that that healthcare provider will always have the products and tools that they need to make sure that you are receiving high quality care. I think throughout my journey in healthcare, I've learned that there is no silver bullet solution. Zipline is covering a a lot of that health access. You know, we we have solutions that address supply chain, that address last mile logistics, that address how you do inventory management. You can split that up into a lot of different ways in terms of like the actual problems we're solving. I, I like to call them like first order and second order effects. The first order effects are what I would call primarily supply chain outcomes. Those are how you get things from point A to point B, figuring out how we can optimize stock with you. How do we create the optimal ordering behaviors? And how do you actually optimize that for costs as well? So these are all first order outcomes that we can measure with that ZipLine has a direct impact on. And this includes everything up to like the basic thing of availability. So, vaccines. Vaccines is one thing that uh, we're working on in Ghana and and really focusing on is making sure that Gavi, um, the Global Alliance for Vaccines, has made some awesome initiatives that push vaccine availability across Africa to upwards of 90, 95%. One of the problems that we're trying to figure out in in Ghana is how do we actually get that to 99, 100%? It's already pretty high, but how do we even push that further? So those are the first order effects. The second order effects that Zipline is trying to solve in our our theory of change is that when you optimize for your supply chain super well- you start to be able to empower your healthcare workers to deliver really, really great service. Um, They never have to refer patients because they don't have stock. If an emergency case comes in, there's always blood. And so our theory of change is that when you have a really good supply chain, when you can get things on demand, you'll be able to provide better care and it will result in better health outcomes. So uh, with health outcomes, as anyone who's a professional and kind of looking at public health, these, these things take a while to actually measure. And, and you know, the, the gold standard of randomized control trials, we're, we are in the process of, uh, of really digging in into those outcomes and really understanding the impact of our change, our impact of our intervention. But we've also been lucky enough to have customers that, that really do care about this and they're actually measuring it themselves. And uh, one example I'll give you is that in several of the hospitals in Rwanda, Minister of Health last year, the former Minister of Health, Diana Shumba, actually posted, tweeted that, hey, at these hospitals for these like three to six months, there's actually no maternal deaths. And so we, we start to see some of these effects in, in places where we've been working with and partnering with uh, the government and, and these hospitals that you start seeing some of these longer term system impacts that have direct impact on patients. So to summarize, we have that first order supply chain outcomes that like are very huge challenge, not only in, in Rwanda and Ghana, and also the U.S. Um, supply chains are just hard. Um, as we've learned from COVID, depending on how you design them, they they can be very fragile. Having that resilience and flexibility can be really, really helpful um, in responding to shocks to the system. And then secondly, we have those healthcare outcomes that as a result of, of really having that high availability, low stockout and, and really optimizing your inventory, you're able to see impact in, in, in individual patients' lives.
0: It's an interesting framework for thinking about the theory of change from these first order to second order effects. I really like the way you laid that out. When you guys first started, you started in Rwanda and you started with blood. Help us understand why Rwanda is an attractive place to start the company.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I have a lot of reasons. Let me let me highlight the biggest ones one of the big things from a practical perspective was that Rwanda is known as the land of a thousand hills. Um, And from a geographic and topographic perspective, we thought, Hey, it's really hard to get from point A to point B, even with, you know, Rwanda has some really solid road infrastructure, especially in the cardinal directions. Um, Rwanda is a small country of 12 million people, by the way, Um, for those who uh, haven't seen it. um, And, and, and generally is, is pretty well connected, but uh, because of the undulating hills and, and, and the, Um, and just natural geography, um, going a couple miles actually may take you 20, 30 minutes, sometimes even an hour, depending on where you're going. And so from a use case perspective, it was what we thought one of the perfect fits. Just as important, actually, more importantly, was the partnership that Rwanda provided. Rwanda is unlike any other place I know. The healthcare system here and the leadership here is extremely progressive. Um, they are always looking for innovations on how to uh, really push the envelope of what is possible, um, and 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 challenge you know um, a lot of the connotations and stereotypes that may exist. um, They really... Um, have invested heavily um, in everything from a, a really strong community health worker framework to providing really strong primary care. I mean, recently they signed a deal with Babel, for example, to do telemedicine. And so Rwanda is generally very progressive and a pioneer in, in bringing new technology and, and looking to bolster up these core institutions uh, within the country. So under, um, the leadership of His Excellency, uh, Paul Kagame, um, we were able to have really strong support from not only the office of the president, but the ministry of health here to really bring this project to fruition. in a very, very quickly a very short amount of time compared to a lot of the other projects. As mentioned, I, you know, working in Tanzania, I think that when it comes to healthcare, there are a lot of staples and what people know works. And so the, I would say, what would you call like inertia required to, to make change Um, I, overall, I think in the region it is changing, but Rwanda definitely has um, made a favorable ecosystem to to foster that change. And one of the things that they they tout um, the Rwandan Development Board here actually says if we validated this. You can actually set up a business within an hour and, and get it registered. Um, wow! So on, on, on many fronts, Rwanda was and is a a, a great partner in really fostering new innovation and, and and really providing a lot of feedback and input for us as as we've grown with them. So yeah, on, on many fronts. Rwanda Wanda was probably the perfect place for us to launch.
0: I'm sure it made a huge difference that they welcomed so much innovation and also that they spend, I think at 7.5% or so of their GDP on healthcare. So this is clearly a priority for them. In terms of Other relationships and stakeholders and partnerships that you had to work with within Rwanda. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you worked with the healthcare workers themselves to develop the product and figuring out the ordering behavior and the processes there? And, And also maybe around the regulatory aspects, how do you figure out the framework for Airspace integration with with Rwanda.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. I think mean, Keller was really excited to pick two of the most uh, r- regulated industries, uh, both healthcare and aviation, that we've had to <laughs> figure out how to work through. Um, so you you need to really push the boundaries there to really make impactful change. In terms of, I guess I would I would split this up into a couple of different ways. Um, I, first, I'll talk about the regulators and how we worked with um, our regulators, both aviation and healthcare regulators here. Um, and then I'll also talk about the, the customers as well, the lab technicians, the nurses, the doctors that we work with day to day. The re- regulators, there's, there's two sides, right? The aviation and the healthcare. The aviation regulators was, I, I mean, we, this was the first system of its kind, right? No other government, um, no other um, country in the world had launched a national scale Drone system and so the aviation regulators we've spent a lot of time with and RCAA uh, the Rwandan Civil Aviation Authority really embodies everything that I said about the Rwandan government in general. Um, they are progressive. We we had to comply with uh, hundreds of pages of regulation and and, and making sure that we had uh, our safety cases built out. But the 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 government and the the regulators here uh, were really. Um, open to working with us and and figuring out uh, basically we wanted to put out the first performance-based metrics to to really ensure that there was a way that we could operate safely and and showcase the safety case in a very safe and controlled manner and and operate a system that really didn't exist anywhere else in the world um, and and, and work with them um, to really develop and set the standard globally. Many people, many regulators in the world are actually looking to Rwanda to see the frameworks that they use and to, to see the policies that they've implemented. Similarly on the healthcare side, you know, it, it wasn't as new, right? There are similar lookalike uh, models around with distributors of, of healthcare products. So on the healthcare side, it was a little different and, you know, there were existing models, but obviously uh, people were very concerned about dropping products 30 feet from the air. <laughs> Rightfully so. Um, we started working with our regulators there. They really wanted to understand the thermal uh, durability aspects and, and we conducted validation studies uh, with them to make sure that in, in some cases we perform better than traditional methods. Um, you know, actually most of the forces that our products face are actually just at the end of the parachute versus in your normal transportation, um, some of these roads gets very, very bumpy. And so our healthcare regulator, we really had to work to uh, make sure they were comfortable with the packaging, um, showing that we had plenty of margin to deliver and have the healthcare worker come and pick it up um, and, and staying within that thermal window. And, and we also just decided to, you know, from day one, invest in, in very top-notch, best-in-class tech. So our fridges, for example, uh, we all have temperature, real-time temperature monitoring on them. Um, probably have some of the best backup equipment too, uh, a couple redundancies in our power systems. And so I think that that investment and in working, making sure that everything had a very high uptime and have, had a very high re- reliability helped them build more trust in Zipline and making sure that we were framed less as a pilot and more as a sustained uh, operation that they could rely on. So th- those are the regulars. And on the customer front, you know, I think that's one of the things that we are very proud of and very lucky to have had such close relationships with our customers um, at hospitals, the lab technicians, and nurses, and doctors. Those lessons that we learned early on are probably the most valuable lessons we've had to date. Really understanding what the healthcare workers need to serve their patients, how we can best make it easy for them so that we don't have to take up hours of their day um, doing inventory checks or, or having to drive to the blood center. And, and really understanding each and every one of those pain points help shape our product to what it is today. When we first started, it was looking at just that point A to B logistics service. Uh, Where we are today and understanding a lot of those lessons learned, we've learned that, hey, that point A to B logistics is a big pain point. But there's a lot of other pain points that go with it, including you know, having to get approval from the national centers um, or the, their higher-ups to order something. You know That resulted in us setting up ordering rules so that whenever they ordered, uh, we'd actually have a standard set of rules uh, that wouldn't require uh, approval from a, uh, you know, from a superior manager um, at the central level. Um, so that reduced average time by probably like four to five hours per, per order. We built things like a fulfillment system from the ground up. Um, So we were able to show our suppliers and the downstream orders what we had in stock um, so that when they ordered, we knew right away um, within five seconds, whether we had that product or not. We also learned things like, hey, you can't really, you know, in places where the internet isn't great, apps that need constant internet connection are great. So we start off with WhatsApp, uh, which is already widely used. And, you know, you can have intermittent connection and still have messages that are able to tell you when a message was sent and received uh, and read. So we learned tons of lessons like that, you know, from basic operational ones, like the ones I've listed to ones that, I think uh, one of the big defining ones is that you actually, when it comes to cold chain, you can actually have new products in places where electricity has been intermittent or that equipment may not exist yet. So, you know, for some of these smaller clinics, um, they won't. They usually will have either a solar fridge or a smaller fridge um, that um, that isn't able to carry a ton. Um, So. If for some of these smaller facilities or ones that don't have equipment, this is a great replacement. You can now order cold chain goods because they are on demand and you don't, as long as you use it right away, you don't need to store it. Um, and so we actually discovered that by doing this, we open up a new um, a new selection of products for a lot of health workers who weren't able to use some of these cold chain products before. Um, so, you know, we've learned dozens if not hundreds of lessons like that in in, in just our early days here in Rwanda that have really, again, shaped our product today in, in, in Rwanda and Ghana and the U.S. Um, to really understand that, hey, you know, that logistics part is is really important. It's an enabler. If you can do that really well, you can also do a bunch of other things really well. You can do cold chain really well. You can do inventory management really well. And that's that's really, I think, helped us understand that drones are a, a really vital innovation, but that there's all these other add-ons that having that just-in-time delivery can enable a healthcare system to do. To be honest with you, I think we're just hitting the tip of the iceberg. I think that we we're We're still learning things that, you know, having a just-in-time system, both with our customers, we are learning, oh, we can actually apply it to X, Y, Z. And that is is absolutely exciting for me um, to really be on really the cutting edge of of what this technology can be applied to.
0: That is really exciting. And it's amazing to hear about all that you guys navigated through logistically and operationally and and with people in mind and systems as well. Um, For the operations nerds out there. Could you just walk us through a scenario, an emergency scenario, and step by step, what happens from the nurse or the healthcare worker ordering a request for a medical supply all the way through it actually getting delivered to them?
1: Whenever a a nurse or a healthcare worker needs... Um, something, um, let's say oxytocin. So let's say um, you have a woman who just gave birth and is uh, has postpartum hemorrhage. So she's bleeding out, she needs a transfusion, she needs oxytocin, what that nurse will do is um, go on her phone, open up whatsapp or open up our order form or she can call us Uh, we also operate a call center um, whatever is easiest and comfortable for them we have a toll-free line in all the places that we work and they call up our operators our operators are on call to take their order they will walk through what we have in stock if we don't have a specific item in stock and there's a substitution available we will walk them through that so for example if they need ab blood and there's not that we don't have ab we can use o for example so our, our our fulfillment operators are on call to guide the customer on what we have, we confirm the order, and that takes a couple minutes um, at a distribution center. Our, our operators are, are taking these calls, are, are working with the teams that are ready to pick and pack. Once the order is actually confirmed, it takes between five to seven minutes to get the order put in the package put in the packaging um, and get it out the window to our flight operations team. So that pick-pack process, just to describe a little bit more, we have both ambient goods, cold chain goods, um, both refrigerated two to eight, as well as frozen goods. Um, We will use appropriate thermal masses or ice packs um, depending on um, the thermal transportation window. We put dunnage in, we have air inserts that provide cushioning. Um, This package is about the size of a cake box one point it stores up to 1.75 kgs of, of goods so they pack that up pretty quickly confirm on our fulfillment system throughout this entire process our our customers are getting updates on either whatsapp or the order form once it's out the window our flight operations team will take that package they'll load it up into the body of the zip that body will get carried to our launcher on the launcher we'll put down three more parts we'll put the battery the wing, and the nose cone on it they'll do the pre-flight checks we we go through our air traffic control checks make sure that we have approval um, that we're, we're good to fly um, and then that zip is then launched flies autonomously to the destination uh, when it's five minutes away the order gets a notification that your your pack will be arriving soon uh, please be ready and then we drop that pa- uh, the package with the parachute it lands at the health facility uh, we notify the healthcare worker they come out they grab it and into the patient it goes. Um, the blood gets transfused uh, right away. We get the oxytocin and that patient now has the proper treatment protocol or regime that they need. And this all happens in under an hour.
0: That's amazing. Thank you for going into that level of detail. It's, it really <laughs> gives us the full appreciation for how it all comes together. Um, taking a step back, now, now that you've been in Rwanda, you expand into Ghana and are thinking about mm-hmm. further expansion into Africa. I guess, what are some of the learnings from the early days that you hope to take away? And also, just advice to give others who are looking into delivering and changing healthcare in Africa?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And I, I think I, I'll caveat this with I definitely see my journey in, in really understanding healthcare access to, to really just be starting. I think it's you know, I, I by no means consider myself an expert, even though I, I've been lucky enough to have a ton of different experiences across the world, across different sectors of of healthcare. But, you know, I think one of the things that I've always been lucky enough to do and I've always appreciated is that when you're interested in a problem, being able to go see it in person, being able to find mentors that are able to help you think through um, the frameworks and and how to actually address a problem in a holistic way um, and and look through it in multiple lenses. And so I think being there in person in Tanzania, working with a medical director, having uh, really great professors at Berkeley, um, you know, working with a awesome engineering team at Zipline um, and really understanding how they solve their customer problems and and really seeing it and and testing it and understanding what works and what doesn't work being there, you, you can't beat it. Um, And experiencing for yourself and really understanding all those different lenses. And as over my career, I've been able to adapt new, you know, additional lenses to the same problem and look at it from multiple perspectives has been, it's been invaluable. And so, yeah, I'd encourage folks um, that if you can, obviously go and and see the problems for yourselves and and test in the field and and really understand the problem. And I think you'll learn more than you expect to learn. I know I have.
0: Thanks for that. And fast forwarding to modern day Mm Zipline. You guys have done a lot in terms of COVID response support in Ghana, as you mentioned. um, Recently, there was an announcement around the Walmart partnership to expand into the U.S. with health and wellness products. Um, can you tell us a little bit about those new developments and any other details you can about what the Zipline mission is and strategy is moving forward?
1: Yeah, so our, our mission has remained the same and, and, and still will will continue, as especially as we head into these new times. Um, I think, you know, with COVID, we've we've really been able to identify new ways that we can support healthcare systems, which has been very, very exciting. So in, in Ghana, for example, there are a couple really great initiatives our, our team there um spearheaded uh, we had one covid samples so they had um i think one prime oh, there's several covid testing labs throughout the country for gh1 in omanako Ghana, which is about an hour and a half two hours north of accra the capital city so in accra they had the the national testing centers we had a distribution center there and although our plane doesn't our zip doesn't pick up samples. We provided a a really effective aggregation system at our site, which we then shipped over to Noguchi Hospital in Accra. So just to kind of visualize this a little bit more, instead of hospitals sending a driver and a lab technician with the sample, that need to be kept in and, um, and, and certain temperature restrictions. In some cases, this is a four hour, five hour drive upwards of hundred plus miles. Instead of driving that five hour one way and five hours back, they were able to actually drive to our site which range from anywhere from 30 minutes to two and a half hours, Uh, we would then aggregate from there, they would be able to take the car back and use it for other activities. So oftentimes, some of these hospitals only have one or two cars. So that could be allocated towards patient referrals, um, or other outreach activities that still need to happen. And and they would be able to just drop it off, we would aggregate, we would send it off to Noguchi. um, And of course, we everything was digitized from there. All the labels were linked digitally to um, certain patient files. So Noguchi would then transmit those results back to the hospitals and then to the subsequent patients. And so by doing that, we I forget the exact number, but we had thousands of samples that we transported, I think resulting in like a three or four X efficiency gain um, and saving. The main thing was just making sure that the resources weren't always occupied, that they could use cars for other things. So on on that same vein, one thing that we did was because the country had been locked down, because healthcare workers were in high demand, a lot of um, other services were affected, one of them being vaccines. So as a result, a lot of outreach activities weren't happening. A lot of the supply chains uh, were disrupted and vaccines were very difficult to get to patients. And so what we did was we actually, uh, well, the EPI in Ghana asked Zipline to uh, supplement um, the existence of vaccine supply chain. So they, over, I think, a, a couple of weeks, we delivered four to 10x, depending on, on, on which locations, the number of vaccines that we previously, previously had, um, delivering files direct to um, health uh, health posts, uh, or, or, uh, what they call it, CHIPS um, compounds, uh, which are more community-level um, centers, allowing nurses to actually uh, receive vaccines on demand while other logistics resources were being allocated to COVID response. That was one big contribution to um, supporting COVID response in Ghana. And most recently, we actually... Uh, supported polling centers. Uh, the Ghanaian election was just um, in early, early December, um, and they needed masks uh, for all the poll workers that were staffing the place. And I think over, I believe it was a Saturday, we were asked um, if we could help out uh, because they realized that in, if we if they went by ground transportation, it would take multiple days and they wouldn't be able to get in time for the election. And so they asked us on a Saturday, on the Sunday they delivered our, the goods. We started delivering them to 33 districts around Omanaka, which is in the eastern region of Ghana. And within 26 hours before, so before 9 a.m. on Monday, which is when the election started, we delivered over 18,000 face masks and over 160 deliveries uh, across 33 Districts, which is crazy to me, because yeah, I think whenever you try to plan something to that extent, I mean, even the planning alone will take you a day to make sure you have all the right trucks and all the right vehicles the <laughs> right staff. And they literally showed up with thousands of face masks, and overnight, you were able to distribute it to thousands of people. And it, it, it's a it's a crazy crazy thing, pretty crazy thing to think about.
0: That's amazing. I love that story.
1: And then also in the U.S., um, you know, I think there are. We, we recently uh, launched a deal with, uh, well, we recently signed a deal with Walmart. We're very excited about that partnership. Um, and I, I think there, there definitely is a, a use case for COVID vaccine delivery, especially when you look at um, the ultra cold uh, Pfizer vaccine that needs to be kept um, and, and in NGV80. Um, You can imagine that with with Zipline having just-in-time delivery helps reduce the burden on on the cold chain. So there's a couple of exciting things that are coming up uh, in the U.S. that I'm very, very excited about. And I I really do think that as we expand our footprint in the U.S., uh, we'll be able to see more and more of these impacts when we have shocks through our healthcare system or supply chains that Zipline can really help fill the gap for.
0: Yeah. And what do you see as the biggest challenges still ahead for the company as you continue to scale um, and navigate new countries?
1: That's a great question. And and I I think that there's so many. (laughs) Uh, But I think looking back and thinking about all the challenges that we had in the early days, I'm, I'm really proud of our team for being able to navigate and really overcome a lot of the challenges uh, that we've had to date. Um, Everything from the regulatory to the fact that we decide a company that was prototyping in Half Moon Bay, California, decided it was a great idea to start half, you know, around the world in Rwanda. So, (laughs) I, I think
0: at a, we've at a already, cow
1: farm, nonetheless. Yeah, at a <laughs> cow farm in California, decided to come to Rwanda to start our first commercial operation. So on that vein, like we've been able to accomplish a lot. And I, I don't want to discount a, a lot of the challenges that we've already had. But I, I still think that, and then the challenges that we've had to overcome, there are many, many more ahead. And I, I know that uh, you know uh, many more that we have yet to face. As I, as I mentioned We're realizing the impact of Zipline day in, day out, um, especially as we we learn from our customers and and these new use cases. And I think that there are ways that our product can have an even larger impact than it has today. And really understanding how to balance those trade-offs and investments internally um, is going to be a big challenge. I think we have the potential to to really transform healthcare uh, supply chains around the world, and we need to do it thoughtfully. We need to do it sustainably. And so I'd say that that's generally the biggest challenge. And I think everything else flows into that. You know, how how do we create really scalable frameworks for our regulator regulators, for example? Um, every country that we operate in is going to have its own specific requirements. And how, you know, how are we going to navigate that to make sure that we're able to operate and apply all the lessons we've learned, but also ensure that we are complying with potentially new, unique regulations that are specific to a certain country or locale. Um, You know, and of course, this is in full transparency, this is the largest company I've worked at uh, besides academic institutions. And so I think that as the company grows, even though we were able to launch internationally as our first commercial customer, uh, you know, there will always be a challenge in in figuring out, as with any really um, international company, how to expand across multiple. Geographies and, and really scale the operations in a meaningful way. And you know what I've learned at my previous company at, at first term was that a lot of these systems can be easy to scale, but it's a lot of the exceptions, the issues that pop up, and how you manage them day in day out um, that can really slow you down significantly. In fact, it, you can take one step forward and two steps back. You can scale a system too quickly, um, and so you know really being thoughtful about how we do that across the world um, and making sure we really localize our solution is going to be vital, but it's a, it's a challenge that for a lot of my career, I've always enjoyed. And and when you can do it well, you, you really have a product that sticks.
0: So I realize we're running out of time, but just wanted to say thank you, Nick, for taking the time to share with us your personal story and your experiences, learnings from launching Zipline. Um, And it gives us a lot of optimism And excitement, I think, for the future of healthcare delivery and supply chains around the world. Before we end, do you have any other parting words for our listeners or other entrepreneurs looking to make an impact in healthcare?
1: Yeah, I I have one. I think that one thing to keep in mind is that um, there aren't any silver bullet solutions to healthcare. Um, There are obviously some miraculous ones like vaccines. But I I think one thing that I have questions about, Stella, and I'd love to see what happens in in our generation and the next is how do we create sustainable change? How do we take the lessons that we're learning uh, and apply them for future generations, um, for future innovators in the space? So as much as there are these amazing solutions um, out there, my, my question and, and what I'd love to learn uh, more about and, and and challenge a lot of the healthcare innovators in the field is how, how do we set up the next generation of innovators uh, for success? How do we empower and create evidence that allows a lot of these lessons learned to sustain themselves beyond us? That's what I end off with.
0: Thank you so much, Nick.
1: Thank you.